Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 8.30 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at roundrockchurch.us. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need. Good morning, church. The word of the Lord today from Mark 3, verses 1 through 6. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. We're going to pray real quick before we get going. God, something within us this morning drew us here. And my prayer for us this morning is simply that we would find what we were looking for in you. Amen. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remain silent. What parts of you are withering away? And where are they hidden? In fall of 2020, for more reasons than not, Amber and I found ourselves rather zombie-ish, right? We just had a baby for the first time. COVID was strange. Parenting was strange. Ministry was weird. Postpartum depression was hard. Sleep deprivation was real, and yet it was so easy for me to walk into this place and to act as if I was on top of the world. Don't get me wrong, being a dad is a gift that keeps on giving, but it's the hardest thing I've ever done, and I may have had you and me fooled. You see, there's something strange I've noticed about church people, right? I'm grouping myself in, don't worry. We're prone uh, to actually experience church in a way that we aren't ourselves, where we care about uh, being on our best behavior, the place where we're most buttoned up, the we are fine robots. And we're not immune to this here. Some of us come here, we cross our arms, we dream about lunch, we fall asleep, we wonder what's wrong with brother so-and-so or sister such-and-such, and we avoid the ache. The ache we have to be truly genuine about who we are, or at least where are we, where we are at, right? Sunday isn't meant to be an acting class where we lean into the unspoken rule of only show your good side. Church is meant to be a hospital, but not just a specialty one. 
one that's open to all. A place where healing happens, not a place where we get our ducks in a line or we study film on what it looks like to be the best Christian. This is the place we come and we say, Jesus, without you, we're lost. So what parts of you are withering away? And where are they hidden? Those questions could be the starting point to a healing that lasts. A healing we need from something on the outside. But it will require something of us. To open our hands first. And with today's story from the Bible, you'll come to see what I mean. So good morning, y'all. My name is Matt Delano. I'm one of the ministers at this church. Um, You'll notice Zane is gone uh, for the next two weeks. Uh, He's actually preparing uh, sermons um, and prepping with vision stuff for the remainder or for the remainder of the year. So he'll be back in two weeks. But for now, over the next two weeks, myself and another uh, member and good friend of mine, Elsie Alexander, uh, we are going to be preaching a two-part series. Uh, where we dive into complex, uh, beautiful stories of healing on the Sabbath. And many of you may be thinking, healing, cool, right? That's got to be good. Nothing wrong with healing. But we're in store for a bit of a ride. Because the healing that Jesus does turns things right side up. And so this morning, we will be in the Gospel of Mark. And if uh, the Bible is new to you, don't worry, we'll have it on the screen, but I wanted to provide just a little bit of context. The Gospel of Mark is the second book in the New Testament. It's right after Matthew and before the book of Luke. Um, And Gospels are simply books uh, that testify to the ins and outs of Jesus's life. And so that's where we'll dwell today. Now, if I know some of you, which I do, you may be wondering a few things, right? As we enter this story, one, what is Sabbath? Like, what is, the, what is the hubbub about Sabbath? So today is actually, in essence, what we honor as Sabbath, the Lord's Day, Sunday. In first century Israel, it would have been on Saturday, but it's a day set aside by the people of God for rest and for worship. It's a day of inactivity to recognize the activity of God that has happened and is happening. But it's also a show of resistance, a different way of marking time from the rest of the world. And just a heads up, this day calls for complete rest. And breaking Sabbath was a major no-no. I'll give you a few examples, right? It's like opening an umbrella inside. Have any of you ever done that before? It's like paying with pennies in Canada. Take my word for it. You can't do that. Uh, It's elbows on the dinner table. We all have that grandmother, right? It's like stepping on foul lines of a baseball diamond. And even worse, it's like smuggling bubble gum into Singapore. You didn't know that? It was outlawed in 1992. You can't smuggle bubble gum into into Singapore. Uh, But really, breaking Sabbath in the first century Israel, was it was punishable by death. Because it meant that you were dishonoring God. 
And the scene we're about to enter actually challenges everything we know about Sabbath. Because no healing on the Sabbath, as crazy as that might sound, is a spoken rule. And Jesus challenges the tensions that we see of rules versus God working in new ways. And you wonder maybe, why is this so radical? Well, just before this story this morning, Jesus actually is trying to help the Pharisees who have practiced Sabbath their whole life to reimagine it with Jesus. He says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even on the Sabbath. Jesus' lordship doesn't change based on the day of the week. Hold on to that. The second thing you might be wondering if you heard the story closely is like, we're three chapters in and somebody's trying to kill Jesus, right? Like, how could he have caused a problem that big already? He's making a scene by simply saying this phrase, the Son of Man is Lord even on the Sabbath. And he says plainly what I think I struggle to get in my head. What maybe we struggle as a church or personally as Christians to get in our heads in that churches and hospitals are perf- aren't perfect, they're messy, but they're a place where healing happens. And with that healing, they also invite something hard. They invite complexity and pain and grief, and they expect the people that we're encountering are broken. It's no different with Jesus. And Jesus, just a little before this passage today, is actually, it seemed like he was just making through or making a run through all the teachings early in Mark. Because the Pharisees at one point asked his disciples a question. They say, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And we've all had those moments, right? Like, it was definitely one of the moments where the Pharisees asked the question knowing clearly that Jesus could hear them, right? Like, it's like, Jesus is an earshot, but I'm going to ask these other people about Jesus. Like, passive aggression 101, right? It's a challenge of sorts. Ashaming it. They're trying to get under Jesus' skin and make it clearer and clearer that he is in the wrong. And yet Jesus does his thing, right? He says, or it says, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I wonder if we've gotten this point. The sick need a doctor. Nobody is well without Jesus. I'm sick. I need Jesus to remind me over and over again of what needs to be healed inside of me. But the good news is, Jesus heals what's hurt regardless. Regardless. And so as we enter this story, I I want us to notice two things before we jump into the text. And that is how often we are either too busy hiding our own sin 
or declaring ourselves righteous above the sins of others. Because when we do those two things, we end up putting healing on the back burner. And we have to fight, like I said, against the the tendency of performance, right? Where we walk into Sunday and we're the most locked up, we, we don't ask questions, we give simple answers, we worry that more questions will actually dig to the deeper place we don't want to go. We worry that those questions might reveal a brokenness that actually feels fine in the shadows. And then the second thing, and I'm speaking directly to me on this, is I need a heart check on my unpreparedness for sick people to be amongst us. Because the posture I'm prone to give even, the posture that even though I may not say it out loud, is actually, it sounds a little bit like this conversation with a friend or a visitor. Hey, I'm not here to actually be healed. Like, what are you doing coming to a hospital when you're sick? I think the bar down the road has some options, or maybe just check your phone. See if you find something there. When we hide our own stuff, when we outsource care, We give off a mindset of superiority, as if we have it all together. And the truth is, part of that is because we are tied up in distractions and debates. More than seeking out healing for others or ourselves. And so today, Jesus is asking a plain question. What parts of you are withering away? And have you brought them to me? Do you think it's possible for me to heal you from the inside out? And y'all, I'm thankful for scriptures on, Scripture on days like today, where God says, look, it's all right here. If only you would see how I see. If only you would realize that often what we need is in the background. So, we'll jump into the text. This is so interesting. We, Sarah read it for us this morning already, but it says another time Jesus went into the synagogue. So that cues us in immediately that this is a norm for Jesus. Jesus is in the synagogue a lot, right? Some of you may remember the story where his parents go looking for him and they're like, 12-year-old Jesus gone missing. Where is he? In the synagogue, in his father's house. And his parents are like, you really want to be in a synagogue that badly at 12? And yet, we just know, like, this is where Jesus dwells, right? Like, this is where he wants to be. And another thing that said is, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. And at first, we may not think that's weird, but I think, like, Mark likes to tell us stuff. And so if he's telling us this guy's here, maybe he's not normally there, (laughs) right? Or maybe there's a bunch of people who need healing, that are there. And we keep reading. It says some of them, and this is speaking about the Pharisees or the ruling elite in Israel, were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. We get to the primary dilemma immediately. 
And it's a controversy with the Pharisees about what good can be done on the Sabbath. The healing is overshadowed from the beginning by a story about rules on what healing can happen. And I know it sounds wild, but this is where we find ourselves, right? And it's not easy or unimportant to be struck by that. To maybe be emotional at theological wrestling that's taking place over healing on the Sabbath. To wonder how, could so, how someone could be so angry and set in their ways when a man needs healing. When his well-being is at stake. But remember, we might practice some of the same things. Also, there's something of hidden importance that I think is so helpful here. And that's that many folks actually believe, many scholars actually believe that the withered man was a trap. He's not just there by chance. But rather, uh, it was an attempt by the ruling elite, those who wanted Jesus to fail. It was an attempt to show a crippled man in front of Jesus and be like, there is no way he could refuse healing this man, right? Not because they want it for the man, but because if Jesus does this, it will strengthen their case to get rid of him. I mean, we can't have healing on the Sabbath or in church, right? Jesus doesn't slink away knowing that this will have consequences. And instead, Jesus yells something interesting. Jesus said with the man with the shriveled hand, stand up, rise up in front of everyone. This is so fascinating because this term, rise up, the original language actually is used mostly in language regarding resurrection regarding healing acts that are only possible through God. And we're cued in to see that resurrection power is everywhere, even in a synagogue landmine. Even in our lives where our fail-safe is to hide or to use other people's problems as a distraction, Jesus is tired of the need being missed for the sake of posturing, and so he gets right to the point. Stand up in front of everyone. And y'all got to know, this guy's probably feeling super weird, right? Like he's like, I guess I got to stand up. Like Jesus is asking me in front of all these people, like, what am I can't hide anymore. And he becomes a silent witness to a miracle in his life. I mean, he doesn't ask Jesus to heal him. Jesus seeks him out. And yes, Jesus was surely acting against an interpretation of the law, but Jesus, who came to fulfill the law, love of neighbor, didn't violate the law. Because people need healing every day. Seven days a week, 24 hours a day, someone needs healing, need knows no calendar. Do we believe that? All right, I'm going to take a turn. 
how, I, I'm going to ask for a raise of hands, so it's going to be a little uncomfortable, but this last week was quite the movie experience, right, for everybody. You got Mission Impossible that already came out. You have the Barbie movie. Oppenheimer, I think, is that what it's called? Who saw a movie this last week? Okay, way fewer than I expected. We are not like the world. That's a good thing, right? Like, So I thought this was fascinating. So I'm not going to talk about Barbie like Zane did last week. But Oppenheimer, right, it covers the creation, a, a, a gripping story, a heartbreaking story, wrapped up in the creation of the atomic bomb. But when I was looking into it, I actually found out about another nuclear disaster that happened in Japan. And bear with me, I think this is interesting. So in 2009, or 2011, a Japanese city was struck by one of the largest nuclear disasters in the world. A nuclear power plant in Fukushima, Japan, was struck by the most powerful earthquake ever recorded. An earthquake that triggered a tsunami of 50-foot high waves. This led to an evacuation of 154,000 people taken from their homes in one night from everything they knew due to large amounts of radiation released into the atmosphere. It seemed as if all was lost. And then out of nowhere, I didn't believe this when I read this, a group of 400 elderly and retired engineers banded together to resolve the crisis. They called themselves the Skilled Veteran Corps, and why they did it was because they believed that the radiation exposure would be less of a concern on them than to a younger generation that would likely face problems for decades to come. They stepped forward to help carve out a restored future. It was outside of the norms, and yet it was radically restorative. And I imagine there were some people that didn't want them doing that. I imagine some of them, even as they did it, were thinking, what am I doing? Like, I'm, I'm opening myself up to pain, to death, to cancer. But they broke the norm for the sake of a future generation. I wonder what Jesus was doing in the synagogue pointing to a restoration for a future generation. And what's funny, y'all, is like, I love this about Jesus, and I love this about the book of Mark, is like, Jesus is just teaching, right? Like, he's just like, heal, teach, heal, teach. Like, it just keeps going back and forth. And this moment, he doesn't just heal. He teaches the gospel. And he teaches the gospel, remember, while this guy is still just standing there, right? This guy's just standing in the middle of the synagogue. He's like, Jesus, can you get to the point? Like, can you heal me already? And Jesus asks a question that feels like it has an easy answer. 
And he says this, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they remained silent. But they remained silent. I'm curious. I'm not just outing the Pharisees. I wonder this, like, do we choose a slow death by the way we live? We watch others slowly wither away rather than reaching out to the one thing that can save us. I mean, many of us, right, if we're honest, we don't have time for Sabbath, right? We kill ourselves with the evil of of one-upping or distraction or critique or full schedules because that seems better or, or nicer or more palatable. We want to cover up the brokenness instead of healing it. And I just wonder, one of the things that I think is so sadly a part of how we are often as a church is that we have convinced ourselves to suffer in silence. Empty rather than to cause a scene that would show someone we need help. We have a tendency to become faith toddlers. And I say faith toddlers because y'all might remember, right, in Matthew 18, Jesus says become like children. He does not say become like toddlers. That's a whole different animal. But the question Jesus asked is much like a question I ask my daughter, Avery. Which is right at bedtime, Avery? To listen to me or to ignore me? To hide under the bed or to get in bed, right? And she's three and a half. She, she most of the time knows the best thing to do. The thing that will lead to prosperity on both ends. And what does she do instead? She grits her teeth. She silently picks a fight and she takes control in the only way she knows how. Because what she feels clouds her from seeing we do this because sleep is good for her and for us. She and us would rather argue or stew in silence then choose the thing that's better. And it's interesting here because the people around Jesus, right, they treat this like a rhetorical question. They're like, oh, Jesus is just asking a question. We don't need to worry about, <laughs> worry about the right answer. But Jesus is like, I'll answer this for you. Y'all seem to be choosing evil when you know the right choice. Their silence witnesses to the need of healing for everyone in that room. And we do the same. We often stay silent. Or, we do something even worse. I imagine in the room with Jesus, there's some things going through the people's heads, right? Like, what? Could we be wrong about Sabbath? Like, like, could we be misstepping? But, I mean, 
Right after Jesus does the healing, we, see, we read, the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how to kill Jesus. It actually seems like they do what many of us do, and they don't shift their ways, but actually they double down, right? I mean, we dig a bigger hole, right? You get louder. If you have a spouse or a child or a parent or a sibling, you know this. We want to fight, right, until we can't possibly be wrong. We've said so many things so loudly, maybe things that seem insane, but because we've said them, the original point gets lost, right? Watch any TV news station, right? Even watch ESPN. All you see is arguing. Not even for, like, fact, right? Just arguing to argue. And I see our brokenness in that, and I see our brokenness in the response of these men. It's so bad and so hidden that we double down instead of getting help. In this silence of doubling down, we actually miss the opportunity to know Jesus. And I want to get us to the last point before we close this morning. How do we, how do we get out of this funk? We have to take our cues from Jesus and the man with the withered hand. There is no other place in Scripture where Jesus is described in this exact way. It says that he is anger, angry and deeply distressed. Jesus had had enough. The only time in Scripture where he is described as this, and it's not just anger, but it's lamentation. He's moved to the edge of grief. And Jesus offers us in the midst of this an out from our brokenness to see that we are truly a people with withering hands and hearts. And we realize that the healing Jesus offers is disruptive. It's not safe. It changes the plight of the poor, the grief of the widow, the trajectory of the terminally ill, the trauma of the abused. It, it changes the possibility of every one of us that has something withering away. But the key is seeing how it happened. What did the man do? All he did was stretch out his hand. Every part of this man would rather hide, and yet in one moment he is healed from the inside out. No more shame, no more hiding. Rather revival, mending, flourishing, because the brokenness that obstructed him is now withered away. But I wonder, do we believe that's possible for us? Do we believe Jesus still performs miracles? And to be honest, I'm not sure that the healing that day had anything to do with the man's hand. 
A couple weeks ago, uh, Pastor Rick actually said something I think speaks directly to what we need to hear this morning. He was preaching a series on mental health, and he wrote, or he said, healing starts when we reveal our true selves. Healing starts when we reveal our true selves. Y'all, hiding feels easier, but it's surely not better. And Jesus shows us the start of healing with this man. He has the man come forward, and Jesus could have healed him, right? Jesus didn't need to see his hand. Jesus didn't need to touch his hand. Jesus has him come forward because he sees something in this man that the man had lived to learn or learn to live concealed, to hide, to hide his hand and the parts of him were, that were broken. And he had learned to do the same with his faith, likely, to hide what was hurting. And I wonder today how many of us are doing the exact same thing. How many of us come to church and let people around us see only the things that work. Jesus says to this man, stand up, show me where you're broken, and I will step in. Healing requires us to stretch ourselves to places of discomfort. So we ask ourselves, will I trust Jesus enough to show him the parts of me that need him? The most? Will I show Jesus the parts of me that need him the most? We're going to close this morning. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and invite uh, John Schneider up, one of our elders, um, as we close with a blessing. Uh, what I'd like to do is just do a simple prayer um, before John does the blessing. Um, and I want, you to, I want to ask you to just do one thing. And that is, as we pray, is that you just would hold out your hand. You would hold out your hand and that you would believe and think through whatever that thing is that's withering away. And you would give that to Jesus this morning. So let me pray for us uh, before John gives us the blessing. Today, as we stretch out our hands on behalf of the things withering away inside of us, Jesus, we make a claim, and as an act of trust, we stretch out our hands to be healed because the one who heals us stretched out his hands on the cross to redeem the whole world. Our brokenness doesn't have the last word. God, help us to know that when we stretch, you save. Amen.